Welcome to the Gathering at Adel's Sermon of the Week. This message is by Pastor Jeff Hopkins. As you listen, we pray that you will be encouraged, empowered, and enriched. Thank you. God bless. Uh, man, what a, what a great day it is to be together in the Lord. You know, the, the word says, do not neglect the gathering together of the brethren. There, there's a power that happens that, like I said, Jesus' last moments on earth before the cross was to spend time in the presence of the Father, but then to spend time with community. And so there is something special that happens here. Church is not perfect. It, it is led by imperfect people. Uh, some, of, some of those being here talking to you right now, you know, uh, where we will lack and disappoint you in many areas, but our love for you will never fall short. We're going to say things, we're going to disappoint you, but our love for you guys is so great, and so we're glad to have you here. Uh, Mandy is our children's pastor. She's going to come up and uh, read the passage today. If he's, are you going to come up or stay down? I don't know. I don't know. Can you all hear me? All right. Aren't we so blessed that we get to read this with each other in public? That's such a cool thing, and I don't ever take it lightly that God gives us this gift to share with each other, and we don't have to hide it. So if you get the chance to, memorize it, because it's really, really good. All right, the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flames and the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the ministry of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it as boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you that every word in here is true. Thank you that it's for our benefit. Father, may, may we use, may we learn from these words today. May you transform our hearts, our minds, and our lives, our families. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that in this passage, it says that for our war is not against flesh and blood. And right before that, you remember what we talked about last week? Wives and husbands, right? Children and parents, slaves and masters. And he he goes through there because why? That could cause a little bit of warring sometimes, or at least in the Hopkins household. There could be some conflicts. And he reminds us that right after all those things, he says, hey, but our war is not against flesh and blood. And so today, 
the, the topic is the armor of God, and we're going to get to that, but it kind of takes us a little bit to get there. But the main point today is that one of the most effective weapons the enemy uses is to get Christ followers to believe that spiritual warfare is not real. Uh, I know some, some of you guys are new, and you're probably like, dang, we walked into the weird church, right? It's like, ushers, bring forward the snakes. I'm like, nah. Snakes are at the end of service, all right? You know, come on, come on. But, you know, it's, it's this, you, you can go totally joking, all right? Don't walk out right now. Uh, but you can go from this idea that, one, that it doesn't exist, like, no, I'll be completely oblivious. That doesn't make sense. We're, but you can actually go to the opposite end and, like, everything is an evil spirit. Everything, the enemy is against you. It's like, oh, my kids are sick. They're always sick. The enemy has a spirit of infirmity against me. No, she, she licked the flagpole, all right? Like, it's going to happen. Like, that's, like, my car battery's dead. The, the enemy is after me. You lift the lights on. It's going to happen. You know, like, you went back, you got that second piece of cake, and it's like, the spirit of fatness is against me. No? I don't think that's biblical. Uh that, that was all you, brother. That was all you. No one, <laughs> I went back for that second piece of cake. The enemy did not have to tempt me on that, you know. But we can go from this like where we think, oh, this is so weird church-ish to where it's like, oh, man, here we go. There's a demon behind every bush, and we're going to find it, and we're going to get it out. There's a fine balance on knowing what is against you. But I think the key for us is that it starts off before he even goes into the armor of God. He starts right here. He says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against those things. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to pay attention we have to be aware that there is an enemy after us. June 6, 1944, the Allied forces pulled up onto the beaches of Normandy. In a span of 15 minutes, 2,500 Americans lost their lives. It's a part of an operation called Operation Overlord where they were opening up a second front to overcome the worst kind of evil that we've seen. 2,500 Americans gave their lives in the span of 15 minutes. They walked head on into an onslaught, but every one of them knew what they were into. They were not unaware of what lied on the other side of the beach. Listen to this. As they were getting off the, the ships, there would be people on intercoms. Here's what they would say. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you have any strength left, fight to save yourself. We may die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. This is it. Pick it up. Put it on. You've got a one-way ticket, and this is the end of the line. Over and over, they're saying it. That's what Paul's telling us right here. It's this idea that we're walking into an onslaught and if we're unaware of it, we become a needless casualty of the war. 
our families, our marriages, our kids become needless casualties of war because we are unaware that we have an enemy who despises us. We act like we're in the middle of a playground instead of a battleground. There is a war that's been raging on from the beginning of time. Satan, it says, was thrown out of heaven. Placed here and that this is his playground. The, the Lord has given him room to operate here. And we have to act like this is a battleground and not a playground. We have to be serious. You have an enemy that despises you. That wants nothing more than to, to, to see the destruction of you and everything that you hold valuable. One of the most effective weapons the enemy uses is to get Christ's followers to believe that spiritual warfare is not real. Three things that we're going to look at. Stay alert, stand firm, and put on the armor of God. John 10.10, 10, I don't think I put it in there. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to only kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come so that you may have life and may have life abundantly. The enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have to be aware of the plans that he has for us. The enemy wants nothing more than to see your downfall. He has been plotting your downfall from the beginning of time. He want, and, and he waits till the most opportune time to inflict the most damage. We can be, we can act like it's all over. Like, it's good. Jesus is one. He's overcome the grave, the sin, all of that. Or we can be aware that there's somebody out there, an opposing force, that wants to bring you down. And if you don't believe me, you haven't been paying attention. Just because there's not a demon around every bush, a devil in every bush, doesn't mean that his plans for you isn't to still kill and destroy. This word right here in verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. If you have a different version, it might say, and I think I have the words up there, you know, it'll say schemes, the wiles, the deceits, trickery, strategies. This picture, the Greek word is methodia, and it says the picture in that language is that of a wild animal that cunningly stalks and unexpectedly pounces on its prey. That's, that's what Paul wrote. I didn't write that. Paul wrote that and said, the schemes of the devil are this, that he is around like a wild animal. He stalks you, and he pounces on you unexpectedly. That's what that word means. He says it again, or, or it's in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says that, the, what, that Satan roams around what? Like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. What we have to understand is that we are in a battle. It's serious. We have to be aware of it. But we don't have to be afraid of it. Because the key word in 1 Peter 5, 8 is not that he's a lion, not that he's going to devour, but he is like a lion. He is not a lion 
There's one lion from the tribe of Judah. He overcame sin, death, and the grave. Resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He sits and his enemies are a footstool. He's reclining at the table. So we're in a war, but the enemy is like a lion. He is not a lion. We have to be aware that he's out there. There are things that can make themselves seem bigger than they really are. Have you ever encountered a problem and it makes it seem like it's bigger than what it really is? And then you encounter it and you're like, that's really not that bad. It's like a shadow. When you're walking and the shadow's big and you're like, man, something's big back there. It's just a shadow. It's acting like it's bigger than what it really is. And that is the enemy. Even in 2 Corinthians, let me read that. That passage there, 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 11. I wrote for this purpose to test your character to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, I have also forgiven everything, anything. It is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Right down in verse 14 it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, and through us spreads the aroma of knowledge of him in every place. Later on it goes through there and it says that, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. The enemy is like a lion. The enemy masquerades like he's light. He's none of those things. We have to stay alert to him. We have to be aware of him at all times. I, one of my favorite things to do is to scare people. Love it. Uh, Lauren's mom, my mother-in-law, one time she parked at Gibson's and uh, had the door that you could unlock with the code. And it was a perfect opportunity. Some would call it a scheme of the evil one, you know. Uh, my wife, I think, did. And so I, like, I pulled over and I hid my car. And uh, she, was in the, she was in Gibson's. I walked over there, unlocked it, climbed in the back, locked the doors back into the way back. This is awful. And... Uh, I say that and I'm just, I can't stop laughing every time I think about it. Uh, she gets in her car and I just let out a scream. And there was a barrage of fiery darts and words that came my way. I mean, she was just like beside herself. And I, I mean, that was probably 15 years ago. And I could have died right there. And I could have been like, Lord, what else could I accomplish? I love scaring people. Me and Josh, I'm up here all the time, sometimes early morning, sometimes late at night. Josh loves to scare me. And if you've ever, you know, you're in a building and you always hear noises. And so I'm always like, that's just Josh. And then it's not Josh. And then he's lying and wait for like 17 minutes, you know, while his wife is taking care of all the kids. I'm not going to throw you under the bus there. But like 17 minutes, you know, and then like I'll be like, okay, that was nothing. And then like I'll go and sit back down and it's like right there. You're like, oh, man, Josh, you can't do that. But I, me and Josh love to scare each other. My kids, you know, I love to scare people. Do you know what I hate the most? Being scared. It's the worst. 
It's the worst. The kids, they love to, when I, when I walk in or when anybody walks in, my wife is so good at scaring Max. It's phenomenal. It's always just that thrill of just like, and I'll come home from work and, you know, I, I just had a long drive praying and worshiping the Lord, you know, most of the time, caring for other people, <laughs> you know. Uh, and like, I'll be not in the right frame of mind to be remembering that there's somebody on the other side of the door and they love to scare me. And every once in a while, I get a little irritated and that makes them even happier. <laughs> what happens is that we have to be aware of the enemy. He is like that. He hides in the darkness. He hides in the shadows. He waits for the most opportune time. Before we move on to stand firm, I felt like the words that he said was, we are not aware or awake when we're distracted. When, like I said, I've just been praying for people in ministry and loving the Lord, and I walk in, or maybe I'm carrying 9,000 too many things, I'm distracted and I forget that there's somebody on the other side of the door that's about to scare me. When I get distracted with the things of this world, when I get that promotion that I wanted and it's everything that I dreamed of and that's it, I forget that there's an enemy right there ready to take everything that the Lord just blessed me with. I, I get distracted with sports. I get distracted with Hobbies. I get distracted with kids. I get distracted with work. I get distracted with all good things. But when we get distracted by those things, we become unaware that the enemy is lying in wait. He will wait and wait and wait until it's the most opportune time. I, uh, I never understand that. Why, why sometimes do, does it happen immediately? Sometimes he'll wait seven years. I mean, you, you see right now there, there's a lot of turmoil in, in a large church in, in the U.S. And it's like something happened 20 years ago. And it could potentially be the downfall of thousands and hundreds of thousands of followers. If the enemy would have exposed it there, would not have had that great of an impact. He waited 20 plus years for the most opportune time for him. And he struck. You can think you're getting away with it. You think you can put it off for tomorrow. You, you can think this and think that. But the enemy has not given up on you. The other part I was thinking is, man, when we get tired, when we're distracted, when we're tired, right? when, when are you most likely to give in to, to eating poorly? When you're tired. When it's easier to just pop in a, a powdered donut. Man, the glorious powdered donut. Costco has those ones that are huge. It's like four powdered donuts all into one, and you know, but it's only one. But when are you most likely to give in? When are you most likely to, to fight with your spouse? When you're tired, when you're worn down by the things of life. And so for us to stay aware, to stay awake, we have to learn to rest in Him. 
That's hard to do in today's society. It's hard for this guy right here to rest and to sit still. But to truly rest in him will prepare us for the battle. You look at Jesus before every major thing he encountered. He pulled away from the crowd. Got alone with the Father. Received the rest from him and then he was able to defeat it. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't just like, oh, well, he did that because he's Jesus. No, no, he did that because he rested. He wasn't distracted by the things of the world. He knew his purpose. You see, the devil doesn't fight fair. He cheats because he knows he's already lost and he knows he's already defeated. But here's the beauty according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read that to you guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I don't think this one gets taught on enough. It says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way out so that you are able to bear it. Every temptation the enemy has, there's already a way out. In his kindness and in his mercy and his love, there's already a way out. Whatever you're, the enemy's going to throw at you tomorrow, the next day, the next week, all of that, there's already a way out. And can I tell you, the longer that you wait to take the way out, the more difficult it is to choose it. And the more costly it is to choose it too. You can be caught in sin there's a way out if you wait another day, another week, another year to struggle with that sin. It's harder to get out and it's more costly and it does more damage. But it's still a way out. And it's still freedom and beauty on the other side. But it just can cause more damage to your loved ones. It can cause more damage to yourself than what the Lord had intended for you. There's always a way out. The longer you wait to take his way out, the harder it is to do it, and it is more costly. One of the most effective weapons that the enemy uses is to get Christ followers to believe that spiritual warfare is not real. This next one, it says to stand firm. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against all of those things. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to, to resist, to stand, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, right? I mean, don't have to be a, a biblical scholar to go, hmm, I think I'm supposed to stand. Right? I think Paul's saying, might want to stand in this instance. But you have the, the beauty of this idea that as you walk through Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Then uh, chapter 4 says that to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then right here in, in chapter 6 in verses 10 through 14, four times it says stand. Sit, walk, stand. There's a believer that, that started the house church movement in China, Watchman Nee. He actually wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. 
And it's this idea that we have, to, we have to learn what it means to sit with him in heavenly places. We have to learn to walk here on this earth in a manner worthy. And we have to be able to stand so that we can withstand what the enemy has against us. This word stand means to be fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. Right? Like it says, so that you may be able to stand, so that you may be prepared, immovable, and victorious. Like it's written into the language already. Like it's not, I have to stand for my victory. No, the word stand means to be victorious. You don't have to stand. All you have to do is stand and then that you're being victorious right there. We stand in God's strength and by his might. We don't stand in our abilities, in our willpower, in our strength and by our might, by our sovereignty. We stand in his and his alone. We see a lot of this. It's the, these statements that, that to declare things. You know, uh, there's a quote from the movie The Help. Y'all, y'all probably know, right? You is what? You is smart. You is kind. You is important. And, and we see a lot of times that we're trying to get believers to declare things over themselves as if to make it true about themselves. Hey, I am this. I am that. I am. The, the word in James says that you are nothing but like a puff of smoke. There's, if, you, if you're not careful, there's a translation in Proverbs that says you are but dust. And if it's one T in the butt, so you got to be careful in your translation. Right? You are. We are just dust. We are. Come on. Right? We, we are just a puff of smoke. Like our lives are that. We're not all those things apart from Christ. John 15, he's, Jesus is talking, he's teaching on the vine and the branches. And, and he goes through there and he says, apart from me, you can do no good thing. I don't like that. Apart from him, we can do no good thing. We cannot be saying these things over us in our own will and our own strength. Yes, we are those things through him, right? We'll say it a lot of times, and they leave off the verse. I can do all things. I can do this. I can do that. Right. Through Christ who strengthens me. We, we shorten it because we want it to be about us. We think that we can do it. You can't. You cannot stand firm against the enemy. He was defeated by Jesus. We just get to bask in the glory that is Jesus. The, the, the ground that I take in my personal life, I get. Right? Like, like my kids, like the, the job and the money that I earn. They, they didn't earn it, but they get to bask in the glory of that. Jesus did everything for us. We could do nothing apart from him. Without him, we are frail and we are broken. To stand firm is when we are connected to the vine. Stand firm. The main point from this uh, passage in stand firm is to be connected to the vine. Because through him you can do those things. Let me read just a couple of those verses out of John 15 because it's so valuable to hear those things again. 
Remain in me. This is in verse, verse 4. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. Ask, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. The vine and the branches is the key. We have to stand firm by his power, by his might, by his strength. There's this, this idea of standing is a defensive position where you're able to withstand. You, you, you can place yourself in a, in a standing position so that you're able to take on what's coming at you. They, they teach it in, in sports. They have like the, the universal stance, and it works in football, basketball, baseball. It's all it's the ready position, and you get to a point. I'm not going to do that because obviously I'm not athletic. But, you know, you get to the position because you can't be knocked over, you can't be pushed aside, and you're ready to move any direction. So many times when we hear the armor of God, we get excited because we're like, all right, get to fight now. And he says, stay awake and stand firm. Stand firm. But, but it doesn't mean that we don't fight back. We were in a Bible study this Wednesday night that we have every Wednesday night. Uh, starting at 6 p.m., shameless plug. Uh, and... Uh, I always cite my sources, and uh, we had a lady kind of share a story that just reminded us of a story of standing. And Linnell was like, man, that sounds just like this. A story from 2 Samuel, verse 11 and, and 12. It says, after him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Heretite. The Philistines had assembled in formation where there was a field full of lentils. The troops fled from the Philistines. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field, defended it, and struck down the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Before that, there were people that ran off. They were scared. But Shammah, which was one of when David's mighty men, stood the ground and said, In this field of lentils, no further. We need to be men and women of God that say, I, I, I don't care that everyone else is fleeing. I, I don't care that everyone else is doubting. But right here, right now, for me and for my family and for the generations that are going to come after me, I'm going to take my stand. We want to go on the offensive and we want to swing a sword and, and like, hmm, do something. Peter did it. What did Jesus say? Put it away. Jesus comes back, 19, uh, Revelation 19, 12, says that Jesus is coming back and it's going to be a glorious day. And it says that he's coming in on the clouds and he has the sword. But where's the sword? It's in his mouth. He's not swinging a sword. Because the sword is the word of God. There's that, that passage in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. And it says, the Lord will fight the battle for you. 
All you need to do is to be still or to be quiet. That word be quiet means to be speechless, silent, dumb, no jokes there, and deaf. To be quiet, to be still in the middle of the battle means to be speechless, silent, deaf, and dumb. That doesn't sound that fun, does it? The, uh, this past week, uh, Friday, Friday night, we were at a basketball game, which things can get a little intense and heated. And uh, not, not by me, I sit there quietly. And th- it was a pretty intense game. Lord, forgive me. Uh, it was a pretty intense game, and this lady walks by. And just, uh, she wasn't talking to me and Lauren, but she happened to say it right in front of me and Lauren. Uh, and, you know, all our fans, and she's like, great kids, you know, and then just kept walking. And I was like, oh, man, okay. You know, everyone else is like, what just happened? I'm like, man, you know, what did she say? To let the Lord fight the battle means to be speechless, silent, deaf, and dumb. That's incredibly difficult. Where we want to defend ourselves, <laughs> if you want the full real story, talk to me after service. I didn't say anything in return, but I could have. But uh, we want to defend ourselves. We want to justify ourselves. We want to make sure that everyone's heard our side of the story. But the battle has already been fought and won. Our only response is to stand and let him do the fighting for us. There's, a, there's an old show called uh, Hogan's Heroes. There's a guy on there, Colonel Schultz, you know. And he's always going, I know nothing. I see nothing. That's how we need to be. To be quiet, to be still is to say, I know nothing. I see nothing. I'm going to stand where the Lord has called me to stand. It appears as weakness. But weakness is our advantage because weakness draws us to a more dependence on him. Standing still, being speechless, quiet, deaf, and dumb can look like weakness, but weakness increases our dependence on Him. We are to stand firm. The battle is worth it. The cost of defeat is too great. Stand firm. Don't turn back. Don't turn your back. Don't retreat. As we look at the armor of God, that's the only part of our body that's not protected is our back. When we stand firm, we're protected. When we retreat, when we give in to sin, because what is giving in to sin? That's retreating from the battle. You turn and run. Maybe there is a second piece of cake. Maybe you are tempted by it to indulge in, in that extra piece of cake. Is to turn your back on the fight that the Lord has for you. We have to stand firm. The battle is too great. The cost is too great. One of the most effective weapons that the enemy uses is to get Christ's followers to believe that spiritual warfare is not real. When we look at this, you look at the attacks that the enemy has, right? Stay alert to his attacks. Stand firm in his attacks. His attacks always boil down to a few things. One, he's always challenging our identity. He's always twisting scripture. And he always offers costly shortcuts to God's plan. 
everything that we look at in the armor of God. He says, put on the armor of God. It's always things to combat the enemy's attacks of challenging our identity, of twisting scripture, and costly shortcuts to God's plan for you. The first one, as we look, and honestly, most of it was stay alert, stand firm. There's, there's not a lot that has to be said on the belt, on, on the armor of God. It, it's very simple and self-explanatory. It's learning how to use those weapons to our advantage. It says put on the armor of God. Paul wrote that one time. He didn't say then take it off at bedtime. Put it on again in the morning. When, when Paul said put on the armor of God, he, he was saying like put it on now. And for the rest of your life, you're going to wear it. it. It's not something that we put on and put on and put on and put on. We put on once and we walk in that armor that he has for us. Because the battle never stops. And so this idea that we have to put it on and re-put it on. and No, we, we put it on once. It's this, this belt of truth. And like I said, you can go through all the, the analogies that it talks about. You know, like it, it holds the weapons. It's around your waist, right? The, one of the, the uh, translations says to, to gird your loins, right? So you had a robe and you kind of like pull it up, make it into a belt, right? It was uh, ready for battle. But the belt of truth is the, the foundation to everything else. It, it says that, that in John eight forty four, it says that Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. And when you think about it this way, if he is the father of lies, then every lie that's ever been spoken can be traced back to him. He's the father of all lies. Every lie can be traced back to him. The belt of truth is essential. It's our greatest weapon against him. I'm probably going to say that about every armor of God piece, so just whatever. Ignore that. Right? It's our greatest weapon because right before that in John uh, 8.32, it says that the truth shall set you free. Because the enemy is going to attack you and to challenge your identity. He's going to say that, how, how can you call yourself the righteousness of God, even though it does in 2 Corinthians 5.21? How, how can you call yourself forgiven, washed, purified, a son of God, a brother, a co-heir with Christ. How can you call? Well, because if you have the belt of truth, then you can just go right back to those scriptures. And it says, and go point, at, point out, hey, here I am. Like the word says that I'm the apple of his eye. The masterpiece created by him. Right, that, that we go, I'm the righteous, that I was a sinner, saved by grace, that I'm washed clean and purified. But the enemy will use lies to get you to question your identity. The only thing that will set you straight is the truth. You get the truth from the word of God. He, he will go through there and he will try to twist scripture. And, and it can sound a lot like scripture. There's some pretty good Facebook groups out there that go like, hey, what's your favorite passage in scripture that's not really in scripture? And like they post all these things that primarily pastors say. And it's like, whoa, none of that is. You're right. But it sounds close enough to Scripture that you're like, man, that sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds really good, but it's not the full truth. He'll get you to take shortcuts. 
He'll lie to you and tell you that this is okay. Right? The Lord already has it for you, but we're just going to get to it quicker. There was a time where uh, me, and, me and my cousin were, were mowing lawns, and we mowed uh, my grandma or my great-grandma's lawn, and she was gone uh, when it was time to get paid, so we walked in, and, well, why am we confessing everything right now today? But, like, uh, walk in and just got the money that was set aside for us. Didn't tell her, didn't tell anybody. And, uh, I mean, man, Grandma, he, she, she could tell. I mean, I think, I think it was like $4, two bucks each. Uh, you know, that's how much you got back in the, the late 1900s, you know, growing up and uh, mowing lawns. It's like, man, okay, here we go. Two bucks each, you know. And, but Grandma, he, she knew if $4 was gone, you know. I mean, she had every dollar accounted for. The enemy told us that that was okay because that was ours. And it was. But the enemy will always get you to shortcut to get what, what, it, what the Lord already has for you. Same thing can be done intimacy in a marriage. It, it can happen the way that God intended it. Or you can shortcut that. And I don't think I have to say all the, the ways how. Right? You can shortcut intimacy. And you're cheating yourself. And the enemy will tell you it's okay. Second one. Breastplate of righteousness. It protects our hearts. It says that, that 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it, it is that, that we are the righteousness of God. To put on the, the breastplate of righteousness means that I'm going to guard my heart from the attacks of the enemy. I'm not going to allow the enemy to speak to my heart and say that I'm not wanted. You, you know, you, you can go through, you go through a lot in life. Rejection is something, once again, confessing lots of things today, right? Like rejection is something that, that I'll always have dealt with. And so the breastplate of righteousness is like the enemy's always trying to get me to question my value and my worth. The breastplate of righteousness tells me that I'm the righteousness of God. That I'm wanted by him. You see that, that we are free from the power, the pleasure, and the punishment of sin. To strap on the breastplate of righteousness means to walk with that in our mind. That we are free from the pleasure, the pain, or the, the power, the pleasure, and the punishment of sin. Right? We are called to righteousness. Righteousness is right living. It's not a list of rules and do's and don'ts, but it's pursuing him. And as you pursue him and as you follow after him, there's no error in him. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is our sure-footedness to stand against the enemy. I love, I love good shoes, you know. Man... The shoes of the gospel of peace. What happens is if we don't have the gospel of peace, if another gospel is preached to you. You see, the gospel of peace is one that we have peace with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. But there are other gospels being taught out there. The gospel of peace is, it, that's why it says make it your shoes because it's our sure-footedness to go where he's called us to go. 
Y'all ever been to like the carnivals and they have like the, the weird like house of maze and like it has all the mirrors and uh, the floor moves and shakes. You know, you know how hard it is to make it through there when you're on, on, on uneven ground and it shakes and it moves. And that's what happens. We go about this life and it feels like just about the time we get sure-footed, the enemy shakes it. You know, the gospel of peace. And right, so he, he gets us to begin to, to twist scripture like, did God forgive you of that? Yeah, but then you did it again and then you did it again and you did it again. Does he keep forgiving you? Because he continues to twist the scripture. We'll try to get the, we'll try to a shortcut to the gospel of peace without actually going through the maturing process. The shield of faith is the belief that God is able to do what he said he would do. Right? It says that the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. The fiery darts of the enemy are doubts about who God says he is. The shield of faith says, I know who God is and I know that he is able to do what he said he can do. It's not a faith in us, but it's a faith in him where there's no doubt and there's no worry. You see that the enemy in, in the very beginning, the serpent did not tempt Eve with sin. He tempted her with doubt. Did God really say? He twisted it again. He got her to doubt the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Oh, no, no, no. If you eat of that... He said you're going to die, but really you're going to become like him. Our shield of faith keeps our God for who he really is so that we can see him rightly. Where the enemy will always try to diminish. Oh, you're doing so good in finances. Oh, here's an unexpected bill. Just got that this week from like 13 years ago. It's like 13 years ago. I didn't know what I did last year. What are you talking about? And it's like, oh, wait wait a minute. Am I going to doubt that the Lord is good and faithful? Am I going to doubt that he has a plan and a purpose for me? No way. The, the battle is too big. The cost is too great to turn back. The helmet of salvation. Most of the battle is fought right between your ears. And most of the time, all he has to do is whisper one time, and then you'll do the rest of the fighting. You know, all he has to do is just do that one whisper of doubt. And you'll run with it for the next three years. Doubting your salvation, doubting your standing with Christ. Doubting whether you're loved, doubting your identity. Doubting if the word is true. Well, man, is the word really true? Because look at all the contradictions that are just in the gospels, the people that were with Jesus, right? The battle is in our mind. And so that's why the helmet of salvation is there to protect our mind. We have to be sure that we're sure that we're saved. We have to surrender those thoughts to him. That's why it says that we are transformed by what? By the renewing of our mind. Two more. Sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And you're like, all right, here we go. We get to swing that sword now. Jesus, when he was tempted... After 40 days of fasting, he was tempted in three ways, and in three, ta three times he just quoted back the word of God. 
He could have done a lot of other things. I'm like, why didn't you just push him off the ledge? You know, like, oh, hey, look over there. You know, like, nope. But he used the word of God. Sorry, that was probably more kid-friendly there. Uh, I got lots of kids, so there's always lots of kid examples. But, you know, like, he used the word of God. But we all want to swing the sword of the Spirit, but yet where is our devotion to it? What if the Lord would just reveal to us the size of the sword of our the sword of our spirit, our sword of the spirit, based on the number of minutes spent in it? Man, would that be convicting? You got the enemy coming at you, and you're like, well, old timer pocket knife? Like, what? What happened here? I thought this was a sword of the spirit. But honestly, that's probably more accurate than what I really intended that to be. Because when the enemy comes at you and you've got nothing of the word of God in you, what do you got? If you spent time with him, you're in his word. You're a lover of the word. You memorize it. When he comes at you, you don't have to be like, oh, wait, just wait a second. Devil in Isaiah 49, 26. No, it's like, let me look this up. Let me Google this real fast. It flows out of you as you talk. The last one so many times gets left off of the armor of God. It's the most important. It's prayer. I mean, it's the most important weapon that we have. There, there's this guy, Leonard Ravenhill, uh, an old pastor. And he said, no man is greater than his prayer life. How about this? A sinning man will stop praying. And a praying man will stop sinning. That'll convict you right there, won't it? A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. Prayer is the most valuable weapon we can have, but so often, how many times do we fall short of actually using it? If we want a healing service, we'll pack the doors, man. We'll have to blow off the doors and do an add-on. If we want to talk about how to build wealth in the kingdom of God, we'll have to have multiple services. If we want a prophetic night, it'll just have to be multiple nights. Want a prayer night, we can meet in that closet over there. That's how many people show up. It's the most important thing, but yet we totally disregard it as a weapon of our warfare. Time spent with him in the prayer closet will always lead you to victory. Prayer precedes the victory. One of the most effective weapons that the enemy uses is to get Christ's followers to believe that spiritual warfare is not real. Can we leave here today? Stay awake. Stand firm. You already have the armor of God on you, so keep it on. Be aware of it. I'm going to pray, then we're going to do announcements. Father, we just, we love you. Thank you that your word is right. Father, may, may whatever was said here today be for your glory and your benefit. Father, may we be aware of the schemes of the enemy. May we stand firm in the midst of danger and trials and temptations. And Father, will you teach us to 
how to use the armor of God against the attacks of the enemy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we got a couple of announcements, to be honest with you. I forgot them. So Clinton's going to help me out back there. What is it? Ooh, this is a good one. Daddy-daughter dance. This is going to be a great time. February the 9th. Uh, all you got to do is text dance to that number. Uh, we got a pretty good response. But then I send out another text that says, now, now it's time to like RSVP. Tell me your name and your daughter's names. We had like 25 guys. And I say guys, really ladies, text in for their husbands that they were coming. And we got 10 responses on RSVP. And so make sure you actually take that next step. I'll probably send it out again and RSVP for that. February the 9th, it will be from 6.30 to 8.30. It's going to be a great time uh, for dads and daughters dancing-ish. Uh, we have family lunch, February the 18th. Bring a casserole or salad. Yeah. That's pretty simple. My wife's looking at me because she knows I want to make a joke about having some real food there. But I'm not going to do that. Uh, casserole or salad. And that, that, it's a great time to just spend with one another. And then next one might be Jacob up here. Boom. This is you. This is our youth pastor. Keep the applause down. All right. All right. Man, thank you guys uh, for letting me get to build relationships with the students. And we want to... Uh, invite the, the young people, 6th through 12th, to start uh, our discipleship groups on Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock to 9.30. It's going to start February 11th, so it's coming up soon, and we're uh, actually ordering the books. I got the boys' books, and we're fixing to order the girls' books. So the guys, uh, there's going to be a different curriculum, but they're based on each other. Uh, the guys are doing Every Man a Warrior, and it really goes right in line with what you're talking about, brother. Like, Raise your hand if you want to be a lukewarm Christian. Anybody? Raise your hand if you want to stay immature. Anybody? But it's when we don't live out what we've been called to daily that we stay in a place of immaturity, right? And we want to see young people not just rally around and have fun together, but actually grow deep roots and know who they are in Christ. And so this is one way we, uh, we're inviting young people to come and go get those deep roots uh, so it's going to start, like I said, 8 a.m., February 11th, and we're going to order the book soon. Now, if you want to, young ladies are going to have a ladies' group. Guys will be with me in a guys' group. If you're interested, please come sign up. Right outside those doors to the right, there's a sign-up sheet, and we need to get those books ordered. So please come up today if you're interested. Even if you're not sure but you want to find out more, sign up on there. I'll reach out to you and talk with you more about it. Uh, so Cultivating Holy Beauty for the Ladies. And every man a warrior for the guys. It's going to be really good. And the next slide. Yeah. All right, so we got youth camp coming up this summer. Really excited about encountering God's presence. Encounter God's presence youth camp. Uh, 6th through 12th, $25 deposit is due by February 14th. So that's a couple of weeks away. And that will save your spot. I've got registration forms right outside at the same table. But also, just as important, this next slide, kids camp. Encounter God's kids camp, right? Uh, Encounter God's presence. It's third through sixth grade. All right, it's June 5th through the 8th, $25 on February 14th. And we have registration forms right outside as well. Manny will be out there if you have any questions. I think that's it. Here you go, sir. Is it? Let's see, is there another slide? Nope, all right, good. Yeah, you know, really on the kids camp, youth camp, uh, sixth graders can go to either. 
or they can go to both if you want to do that. Uh, but So they're, they're able to kind of choose on that. It's with the same group. So Encounter God's Presence for kids, Encounter God's Presence for the youth. Phenomenal camp. We've been doing that for several years now and uh, been really pleased with that. And so I do encourage you guys, go sign up, go see him. I promise you, if you're thinking, man, young people signing up for the disciple classes, my son, my oldest son, 21, uh, Noah, he's 21, he just went through the first uh, book with Jacob. Phenomenal. I mean, everything that you're like, man, I wish the church would do more of this. We're doing it. He's doing it right here. Everything that you've wanted, discipleship for your young people, man, this guy is perfect for that. So please uh, go there and sign up, do that. Now I say you are dismissed. Uh, go get your kids and uh, whatever. Get my kids too if you see them running around.